This week on Prepping 2.0. Prepping for mental health and because you don't know who else has prepped. If people don't think that the outlaw clubs, the motorcycle clubs, and the organized crime networks and the cartels aren't preppers, they're fooling themselves. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in 3, 2, 1. Welcome everyone to Prepping 2.0. This is one of your hosts, Shelby Gallagher, joined by my co-host in life and co-host on the show, Glenn Tate. Hi, Glenn. Hello, hello. Hey, this is going to be fun. This is a great thing because we got to talk to a fellow author, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, do I? No, 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 no. So one of the things we do talk about, Glenn. Is the top hundred things that go the quickest in a crisis and this is based on the bosnia experience and a bunch of folks that lived through that wrote down the top 100 things and today's which is 93 off the top of my head is booze hooch the sauce yes beer wine hard liquor uh it is something that never goes out of style people need it especially when times are bad it is an amazing comfort it is a sense of normalcy and it goes for a lot of money. You can't find it uh, as things are falling apart and it is tremendous barter material. We are often asked the question, should I buy a bunch of booze that I'm not gonna drink necessarily either because people don't drink or they don't drink that much. Should I stockpile booze? Yes. And the answer I think is yes. We got the the question last week, should I stockpile cigarettes? And we said, no, I don't think so. They, they don't store as well. Anyway, top 100 things. Booze, strongly consider it, even if you don't drink a lot. Yes, siree. Well, this is the point in the show in which we say, Lurkers. Lurkers come out of the shadows. What do we mean by that? Well, there are a whole bunch of you fine folks who listen on the radio and listen on the interwebs and the YouTubes and the rumbles <laughs> and the, the iTunes, blah, blah, blah. You listen and you're not Patreons. And that's cool. We like having you listen. That's why we do the show is to get information out. But you're missing out on a ton of stuff. You're missing out on the after shows. We're going to be having an after show with our guest this evening. And it uh, we don't plan it this way, but a lot of the good stuff happens in the after show. The after show is exclusively for Patreons after the regular show's over. There's a bunch more stuff you get as a Patreon, especially at the $5 a month and up level, like the video bonus shows, which are just blistering and taking off and going bananas. And they're, as the name implies, video bonus shows. Anyway, consider it. Go to prepping2-0.com. There's a big reddish-orange thing that says Patreon. Click it. See if it's for you. Sure hope it is because you're missing a lot being a lurker out in the shadows. What if somebody emails you and says, hey, Glenn, I'm no longer a lurker. What What could happen? Well, here's what'll happen if you say I was a lurker and you put lurker in the subject line, because that's the only way I can manage the hundred emails a day I get based on a true true story. Um, And I will then flag it. And if you give me your address and you say I was a lurker, we're going to send you a sticker pack. That's why I need your address. And it only works if you send me your address, because I've I've tried walking all over the country with a bag of stickers, finding people. uh, It is ineffective. It's not good. Poor use of time. So need your address. Yeah. Lurkers, if you send me an email. You're going to get free stuff, free stickers. It's fun. And it's our way of encouraging people to come out of the shadows. And that's Glenn Tate, one, two, three at gmail.com. So I um, want to stop for just a second and uh, mention one of our awesome sponsors, EMP Shield. Really great fa- folks over there. There, They have a device that if you hook it into your home or hook it into your car, it will protect your home or car from an EMP or a coronal mass ejection. ejection. CME. We've been working every week. We get like it it was like coronal was like two weeks ago, and then the the mass, and then the ejection thing, and that's like a big solar flare. I keep wanting to say emission, and I know that's not it. Mm, Not at all. Not a mission. It's a mass. It's a big thing. All right. So uh, if you go to our website at prepping2-0.com, go to friends and affiliates, click on EMP Shield, and um, if you use. Uh, the coupon code prepping 2.0 at checkout you get 50 bucks off that's yeah, awesome this is good stuff well folks i wanted to let you know a little bit about our guest austin chambers he is a seattle area federal employee we're going to be vague and he's also a navy veteran and his book series is called cascadia fallen and i would like to welcome 
Austin to the show. Welcome, Austin. Thank you for being on. Hey, thank you very much. It's uh, an honor to be here. You, know, you guys have a lot of like big name guests, and I uh, I feel honored to be asked. So yeah. thank you. Well, we're glad to have you. And just so everybody knows, we have got to know Austin uh, and his wife a little bit. Uh, we uh, since he's in the Pacific Northwest area, and so are we. We kind of run into him a lot at prepper expos and things like that. And we just saw him recently we just at saw him an recently author event, which at was an great. Author event, yeah. And so we said. Hey, we got to get you on the show. And he was uh, kind enough to come on the show. So we greatly appreciate that. Um, Austin, why did you write the Cascadia Fallen series? Okay, okay. well, the obvious itch was just because I've, I've always wanted to write a book. You know, a lot of people say that, but hardly anyone ever checks that off the bucket list. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> EMPs have been kind of done, done to death, right? And, and you know, let's uh, guys like you go and kind of put down awesome series about economic collapse. I, I don't know if I could reinvent that wheel. Mm-hmm. I was really looking for something that uh, might drive, you know, 90 or 95% of the same preparedness type stuff, but uh, in a new vehicle, right? So, um, and so I've been working in, in a, a naval shipyard that specializes in working on carriers and submarines for most of my career. And uh, in 2001, uh, and you guys probably lived up around Shelby was probably down yep. in, in Oregon. Yep. But, uh, yep. We had a 6.8 earthquake up here, probably right centered under Glenn's uh, old place. But yeah, uh, it was it was it was it was deep one, uh, relatively medium depth, I think. So it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, but I was working as a scaffold builder at the time. I've been in management most of the <laughs> oh time since. Oh my goodness! But, yeah, and uh, I, I rode a big scaffold during this earthquake. Oh, scares me just hearing about yeah. it so what was that well, like and, yeah and i was in a dry dock right uh next to an old recycle submarine that we were recycling and my first thought after i things had calmed down and, and we'd evacuated the dry dock and we spent the rest of the day inspecting these things was what if that case on had gone which is the big metal plug at the end of a dry dock that keeps the ocean out hmm. Uh, and so i spent the rest of my career wondering if i was going to turn into a red stain <laughs> on the end of the dry dock after the next earthquake right um, and so that had always been in the back of my mind. And uh, I have a, a background, a, a former firefighter and EMT uh, emergency management training and stuff. And uh, so when I decided to check that bucket list and write books, uh, the earthquake volcano thing kind of seemed like a natural way to go. It's interesting. I'm finding, I'm thinking about a recent interview we did with Charlie Hoggood. Mm-hmm. Hoggood, mm-hmm. am I saying Hogwood. that? Hogwood. Emergency management there's a there's a running theme here. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I was just going to say, if Shelby's enunciation is not its usual, very crisp self, <laughs> it's because we're taping this in the evening and she is not jacked up to the gills I, on Minutemen yeah. Coffee with the I Miss America blend, which is awesome. And you can find out more about it on prepping 2 0 Com. Well, and please do go yeah. do that. Uh, yes, I do taper off after 3 p.m. because it helps me uh, because I need to sleep at night. But I do want to say, first of all, be sure to use the coupon code yes. I Miss America and get 15% off. And they are they are around the clock roasting coffee right now. They are yeah. so busy, which is awesome. Great folks over there. I encourage you to check them out. So, but yes. seriously, a caffeine makes the uh, elucidation and pronunciation a little better. I suffer from this problem too, so it's I'm not I'm not casting finger I'm not casting aspersions, pointing fingers. I'm not casting fingers because I don't even know what that is. So right, don't do it. Oh right. Question, so Glenn, next yes. question. So. Austin, give us an overview of the series, how many books it is, you know, okay. storylines, um, those sorts of things. So people can decide if it's something they want to spend a little bit of their money and some of their time either reading or listening to. Okay, so the the primary plot and storyline centers around a gun range. Uh, and, I, and I chose some fictional names for the local area. Uh, I kind of uh, took uh, Kitsap County, which is where I live, the old... Uh, county name for it used to be slaughter so i I just reverted back to that uh and i basically as a new author wanted to reserve authors uh, creativity there if i you know you change names up if you write stuff too realistically and then you're off by uh (laughs) by where a landmark is people get mad right yes they they do do. (laughs) yeah so as a newbie i wanted to do uh some fictional stuff and also I, i wrote about a fictional shipyard just because i was a little bit nervous about what they might think, right? So mm-hmm. the, the the primary plot is around this gun range and the uh, the the guy who kind of is the 
uh, lead instructor there, and he, he's the like the ex- executive officer. And then there's several subplots, and one of those is his son who works down at the shipyard. And of course, there's some catastrophes there that are kind of based on my initial fears from that real earthquake 19 years ago. Um, there's other subplots. There's a I, I wanted to get lots of dynamic here, so I have the the, the polar opposites that have to work together hmm. in the form of a a narcissistic doctor and a young sailor that are trying to make their way back from SeaTac Airport to this side of the water. And then there's the guy who's not a prepper who has to go to Seattle because his kids are on a school trip, a uh, field trip that day. So he's totally out of his element trying to get over to Seattle without any, you know, prepper knowledge or anything. Um, but uh, the, the, the main thing is this gun range, uh, they kind of, it, everyone, all the members just start flocking to it and they want to, um, it becomes a, a mutual assistance group uh, almost by proxy because everyone just kind of naturally went there and you know it's it, it's got the space it's uh, defendable and uh, some of the people there were preparedness minded already so uh, but really as I was writing this book I was about halfway through the first draft when I realized I hadn't really come up with the main antagonist yet for the book or the series uh, and I was kind of treating the disasters which uh, in in essence the there's a teaser earthquake in chapter one, but the big one happens in chapter five, and that's a 9.0 subduction zone earthquake that triggers Mount Rainier and erupting, and then causes tsunami. So it just basically to completely annihilates Northwest and, and, and wrecks infrastructure for hundreds of miles, which is all probably very realistic. Um, but I didn't have an antagonist, and so when I finally solved that problem, the earthquakes – and the volcano disasters, they just became the vehicle to tell the real story, Yep. which is what happens when the two-legged wolves come out to play. Mm-hmm. So um, anyhow, book one, um, I, book two. So book one, I have about five or six plots there involving seven or eight characters. And then in book two, the main characters continue on, but I brought in some new ones and, uh, and, and rolled out some of the old ones into non-point of view characters. But, uh, it's the same thing. I keep the buddy dynamics going. I have stories where you have the pair of buddies that are that can practically speak for each other, uh, that work so well together, but then some of them have a falling out, right? And then I have another polar opposites that kind of starts at the end of book two and carries into book three. Um, but book two kind of or book one ends off ends off with uh, the introduction to both the the new the main antagonist for one and two. Uh, which is kind of just a local power hungry, you know, politician. Uh, and then that's not fiction. Are those common? That's Are those not common? I've no. not heard of such things. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just a mythological unicorn up here in the Northwest, right? Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Jeez. But, but the, the uh, I, I saw, you know, I love how you guys, and I can't remember if it was Sean Swansboro, whoever had come up with that term, Californication. Oh, that wasn't Sean. Sean came up, Sean Swanson came up with yeah. cartelification. Okay. Car- that's the one. Because, Cartelification. Uh, yeah, it's a great word. I was, I was finishing draft one for book one. It was about two years ago. I said, I got to set up a series antagonist that gets beyond this local government person. And I have the cartel slip in under the radar. And and my point behind this whole trilogy, and that's it could have been eight or ten books after the fact. But, I, you know, I'd announced it as a trilogy way back at the beginning before I really knew what I was doing. Yeah. But is this. If people don't think that the outlaw clubs, the motorcycle clubs, and the organized crime networks and the cartels aren't preppers, they're fooling themselves. Yep. So uh, when that that word came up to explain exactly what I had started setting up at the end of book one, and it, it carries through book two and book three, where the the basically the law enforcement um, and the national guard just completely dissolve and disappear. And the, the community has to stand up and kind of fight back against these guys. Wow. Well, you know, and I'm listening to this and I'm hearing terms, you know, antagonist, protagonist, uh, polar opposite personality types. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and I mean this sincerely, you it seems like you studied what novels are about and, and how they work because of these terms. And while I, I understand them and I think it makes a great story, it's very clear what you're saying. The terms you're using sounds sounds like they're thought out. And I know that Shelby and I just started writing about people we knew and we started projecting into the future what we thought people would do. Sounds like you put 
like some structure and some thought into this. He actually used his high school education Whoa. writing. Whoa. <laughs> right, right. I mean, Sorry, that's back when high schools had education. Exactly. That's right. I mean, so did you, uh, for lack of a better term, study the art of novel writing or or did these terms come up thereafter? I mean, was it intentional to have a protagonist? Was it intentional to have polar opposites? You know, was that um, an outline somewhere say, yeah. or did it just happen? So uh, I've always kind of been, you know, um, okay at writing. I'm the guy that would get pegged for writing the roast or whatever, for yeah. the guy retiring at work so well that I almost got in trouble with EEO a couple of times. Oops. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I could write technical documents. Uh, when I was in college and then I, I went back to college after the Navy in the in mid nineties and, um, in English 101, that teacher kept using my stuff as an example. So I knew I had something there. I was a heavy reader back in the military and, and for several years after, once my kids got old enough to be in sports, I kind of just dropped books for several years, but mm -hmm. I was really into like Tom Clancy and stuff. So I, I had a good idea of the kind of story structure I like, which is lots of stories that don't seem related. And then uh, when they finally all tie together, it slaps you in the face with a good aha moment. Right? That's good writing. That's good that storyline. That's good development right there. So what? Uh, one of the things, well, real quick, let me just mention one of our other sponsors because I have, I want to kind of turn directions here just a little bit. Cool. One of our great sponsors, especially right now, um, as people are looking for resources, and we'll get more into that here in just a moment, uh, for prepping. We have all these new preppers that have come on board looking welcome. for, re welcome, absolutely. Backwoods Home Magazine, yeah. great magazine, great resource. We keep every copy. Um, every time I'm thinking, I, I joke about it, I think about, okay, what is my new skill I'm going to work on? And then the next you know publication has that very thing an introductory or really good information so backwards home go to our website prepping 2-0.com click on the uh the logo and use the digit six off and you will get six dollars off your subscription which is great so uh austin what i wanted to ask you and i'm i'm going to give you a little bit of backstory here so glenn and i recently um took a little trip through yellowstone National Park, beautiful place. Very cool. And I, when I was a teenager, went through the same place, uh, Mammoth Hot Springs. And I'm going to give you a reason why I'm going to ask this. Mammoth Hot Springs, when I went there as a teenager, was bubbling, boiling the hot springs that Yellowstone is known for and very, very active. When Glenn and I went back there a few months ago, and I'm like, oh, this is the coolest thing. It was dried. Up. And I've been hearing in the news and I've been, you know, it's one of these, you got to go way far down in the news cycle because the news is dominated it's by geology and people right, don't want to hear about it. Right. Nobody cares. The earthquake activity happening in Yellowstone and the possibility of a Yellowstone centered uh, earthquake that could be like big and bad. Big. Yes. And, and yeah, talk about that because this is one of those things people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's going to be an EMP. What? And people think these things can't happen. I'm sitting here telling you, I kind of saw a small glimpse of it when I see these, you know, a quarter square mile of mammoth hot springs that used to bubble over and you would be, you would feel the heat of them. They're gone. I mean, all they are now is mineral deposits on the ground. I mean, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so um, I didn't study Yellowstone too much specifically, but it, it's like the big super volcano that everyone worries about. Yeah, uh, you remember uh, when Doomsday Preppers first came out, and we all watched it and kind of smirked, but at the same time we're going, "Yeah, okay, that's there's a tip, there's something I should, you know." Mm -hmm. There was one or two of those seasons where they had someone who's prepping for the Yellowstone super volcano, um, and if you ever go and study just how much Earth would would uh would rise into the sky and then travel across the jet jet stream uh it would devastate you know the entire northern hemisphere probably as far as the ability to uh, balance your soils for growing food uh air yeah. quality obviously things like that so um i i kind of addressed some of those issues in my fictional mount rainier going up but uh, the jet stream, uh, this is a fact. So when Mount St. Helens went in 1980, I think it was. Yep. May 18, took, 1980. It Remember took, it well. It took less than a day for them to find, uh, do swipes over on the East Coast uh, and find its ash, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it took less than two weeks for that ash to travel all the way around the world. Uh, and that really wasn't, um, I don't know, I, I'm not a geologist. I would have to Google it just like anyone else, but 
uh, from my understanding, that would be that pales in comparison to the super volcano that Yellowstone yeah. could become. Yeah. So, wow. So what can so we have a couple minutes here, about four minutes here. So we can we can ask a semi deep question here, Austin. Okay. So tell us what readers can learn from your books, because I do think that um, people look at natural disasters. Uh, eh, what? I can't do anything about it. Eh, you know, and, and specifically, I may add to that. Yeah. A lot of people think, let's say you live in, I don't know, Connecticut. And maybe you're thinking, well, earthquakes, that's like a West Coast thing that happens in Japan and Chile and Seattle. So why would I care? So what can right. people learn? I, I think I know your answer, but you're going to say it better than we can. Okay, and you're well, our guest, so you should starters, talk. For <laughs> uh, I think most preppers know that no matter what the cause is, a good portion of the preparedness you're going to do is, is crosses all bounds, right? You need, uh, like you guys love to say, layered la- layers of, you know, multiple wa- ways of doing your food, your water, your, your security, how it's stored, how it's prepared, all of that. Um so in each individual thing, you look at, okay, so what's unique to this scenario? Uh, earthquake, volcano type stuff. We're obviously looking at securing your infrastructure so it doesn't get demolished or destroyed in the process. So for that, it comes down to everything. I mean, if a 9.0 is probably going to just shake buildings right off their foundations. But the bottom line is you don't necessarily have a 9.0. Maybe it's a 7.1, right? You just don't know. So. Uh, go and bolt those high items, uh, your water filters that are part of your well house and the, you know, the pressure head and all that, bolt those things right to the well house. Your generators, uh, making sure your buildings are, are, are wired to receive your generator. A lot of people don't realize that well pumps run on 220, hmm. most of them. So uh, if you go and buy yourself a generator, particularly an older one, you got to make sure that it's going to be able to handle that load. And that's the only thing it can pump while you're running 220, right? So... Um, as far as my books, the in, in addition to normal preparedness stuff like so and so had you know a year's worth of food stored up and, or whatever that to provide for his family, it, I wrote into the story. I didn't want it to turn it into huge prepper fiction, um, be, and I just so basically like there's a pair of guys that have a Silcock key, and then uh, that that polar opposites uh, dynamic, the the narcissistic doctor and the young sailor that are traveling together aren't very well prepared and they come across these guys drain them water out of the uh some 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 of the last pressured water that's in the water pipes of a big commercial building like a safeway or something and they're able to barter for some water because these guys had a silcock key uh and for those that don't know what that is that's this little seven or eight dollar tool you can buy that's just basically a plus and it, it it'll fit each part of the plus will fit into it onto a different size of recessed valve stem um, so that's how people like in commercial buildings keep uh, <laughs> the homeless or whatever from coming and running their water all night and running up their bill. Right? Mm-hmm. So they, yeah. Uh, and then the water bob in the bathtub, you know, after that first small earthquake, the teaser one in chapter one, the guy goes and fills up his bathtub. So my prepper tips for, for things like that are more or less written as little supporting elements of the plot um, wow. uh, versus – you know, I, I guess the big one that kind of carries throughout the trilogy. Let me stop you right. Is, uh, let me yeah, stop you sorry, right there. Austin. The big right. one. We're gonna we're gonna leave a teaser yeah, right there. Teaser, so big yeah, teaser. Big one. Coming, t- the big one is coming up on the other side of the break. There you go. Don't go away, folks. <laughs> More prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. 
PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple-to-install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Abe Lincoln here. In 1773, patriots broke the chains of British tyranny by throwing tea into Boston Harbor. On that day, Americans began drinking coffee. We celebrate that event daily here at Minutemen Coffee. All men are created equal. <laughs> coffee is not. Minutemen Coffee is roasted to perfection in small batches. Bold, smooth, and never bitter. Shipped to you fresh daily. Whole bean, ground, or our patented pods. www.minutemencoffee.com Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to segment two of Prepping 2.0. So glad to have you here. We've been talking with Austin Chambers, who is the author of the Cascadia Fallen Prepper novel series. Hey, Austin, before we continue, how can people learn more about your books and how to reach you? Okay, so I do have a pair of websites. Uh, one thing I've learned is that uh, some people like to be readers and some people like preparedness, and they don't always like both. <laughs> so authoraustinchambers.com if you're more interested in books um, uh, and, and author stuff. And then cascadianpreparedness.com for my YouTube and preparedness stuff. Cascadian with an N, preparedness. And those will all be in the in the show notes. When we were leaving segment one, you said... And the big tip is, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, but before we do, I wanted to let folks know about New Mana freeze-dried foods. comes in large bulk portions. This is not uh, single-serving camping food, and it's New Mana, N-U-M-A-N-N-A. And you go on to prepping2-0.com, go on to our Friends and Affiliates tab. You'll see their logo, and if you use the coupon code PREP, P-R-E-P, in lowercase, by the way, that's actually a requirement. Yep, the we we found that out. Uh, you'll get 10% off and you should do that. So, Austin, what is the big tip? So the big one, and this carries through all of the books, and it's going to have to be something I learn even more about when I do my spinoff series, is comms. Um, I plug Amron, uh, our good mutual friend, yes. John Jacob Schmidt, yeah. and, and Lady Liberty. Hey, you too, if you're listening. Yeah. God bless you for the work you're doing over Amen. there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, but... Uh, uh, two years ago, I think uh, 2018 um, was the first time I had gone to an expo there in northern Idaho. And my uh, wife and I had become ham radio techs about six months before that. And we'd never even keyed up. They call it mic fright. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because you, you get, okay, you make that milestone, you finally get that license, and then you go, now what? Uh, so, uh, talking to him, I, I was inspired to come back home and 
by a uh, an actual like a base station now it's just it's an icom it could be it's actually meant for cars or whatever but it was something bigger and more powerful and more capable than the little handy talkies right and um and i started an amron net here in my local area and that just doing that really it didn't really spark an interest i, I think a lot like glenn and maybe shelby I, i'm more interested in comms because i know it's a skill i need not because i geek out on it right yeah. so um <laughs> So I'm still just a tech, and I, I, I only do the local two-meter and 70-centimeter stuff. But um, it, it, it really drove home to me just how finite. Like, I, I'll listen to the local ham clubs do their, their stuff. And one night, they had a repeater that wasn't working right. And the guy running the net kept telling everyone, all right, use the output frequency. And all these guys in his ham club were confused about why he was, he's telling them to go to the output frequency for the rest of the net. It was. It drove home the importance mm. of practicing communications. So and having uh, the I, reference. I worked Amron nets into the books, and as as the books progressed, my knowledge gained a little bit. And by the time they you know, toward the end, they were using you know digital and HF and stuff. That's something I'm really going to have to up my game on for the spinoff books. So. Yeah, no, that's and that's key. Everyone says it. Communications are priceless, and you're right. You sort of have to experience it to really understand it. I will never forget. The first time uh, the team, this is several years ago, we were doing small unit tactics and for the first time had radios and had, you know, push to talk things. And, and I'll just never, ever forget, instead of just kind of making it up as we go or using hand signals, now it was you guys go here and you guys go there and it a light turned on. And so, you know, you were saying with comms, um, I'm going to paraphrase what you said, and that was just do it and get down and do it. I'll say to guys, you know, using comms on the small unit tactic level, just do it. And when also at the ham level, just do it. And just do it is a great segue into me asking you this. How hard was it to just decide I'm going to be an author, write a bunch of books, publish them, produce audio books. You know, how hard is this? Because we're asked this question a lot, and, and I'm always curious what the answer is. What Was it a big lift, or did it just flow? Yeah, so I wrote an article uh, recently, and I think I did a little six-minute YouTube video on, on my author channel about the red pill versus the blue pill. Uh, and I tell people, and I don't ever remember which one's red and which one's blue from the Matrix, right? But I think the blue is the one where you want things to be the same or, or whichever. But uh, uh, writing the book and all that, it's, it is it is challenging. It's something that becomes, okay, I'm committed. I'm going to do this. And for some people, they can write a book in three or four weeks, uh, at least a first draft. And then uh, others can do it in six months or a year. Uh, it becomes your second full-time job once you decide you want to try to sell that book. Yes. So that's where the red pill, blue pill is. is hey, great on you. You you beat 98% of people if you wrote a 100,000-word book, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone says they want to write a book, or almost everyone, but hardly anyone does. But, but then getting that thing beta read and getting a good cover made for it and all that's kind of like taking the pill. But then when you walk into Amazon and upload that thing and you start looking for how to make it sell, uh, you've just entered the maze, the labyrinth, if you will. So uh, it has become kind of a second full-time job. And Mm -hmm. it's only because I still carry a passion for writing. You know, some people paint, some people play guitar or sing. I I can't do those things, but uh, this is my version of art. Very cool. uh, It's nice to sell books, but in the end, I would still continue writing and handing them out for free because it's to me, it's all about the return on investment of your friends and and people who read it come back to you go, oh, man, that was so awesome. Right. So exactly. uh, It's the message. You're getting a message out and you're helping a lot of people prepare. Do you find that satisfying as if I don't know the answer to that question? That's exactly it. A lot of my initial um, beta readers were people I work with, and now they've all become paying fans. Uh, and some of them were – I work in a 14,000-employee environment. It's the second largest employer in the entire state. And so not everyone there thinks like me and, and politically or anything else, but I'm still friends with a lot of these people, mm-hmm. right? And I have started converting – uh, a lot of people that may be more uh, to the left side of the, the line, I'm not talking about leftists. I'm just talking about people that politically have always considered themselves Democrats. They've started getting into preparedness. And the bottom line is I believe that 
the right to defend yourself, i.e. all the liberals that have been buying guns this year, yep. that is the key to converting people's mindsets yes. on all things government. Uh, once you take away your right to defend your family or once a person sees the value of that is – Oh my gosh, you know, now I want to defend the Second Amendment, right? So, yeah. Uh, I, I think that's the key to at least building bridges where you can have conversations with people. What, what do we love? We love our families. We want to defend them. And so um, that's been the big return for me with people I know who read the books. You know, obviously, you like seeing strangers across the country buying it, but is when they go, wow, I've started uh, preparing. How can I learn how to, to start doing the stuff you do? And that, that helps. So. You know, you mentioned being a, a shipyard worker in a very large place, and it sounds like some people know that you're a prepper fiction author. Uh, do you think, have you found that there's a stigma or not to being a, quote, prepper author? I mean, is it something you you let people know about, or do you wait till you know them well, or or you just lay it out there because there's no stigma. I'm fascinated by this. So there are times when I wish I hadn't told a soul there I'm writing a book. Yeah. Right? No kidding. Yeah. But you guys know as, as well as I that when you finish that first draft, you got to tell someone. Right? <laughs> oh, man. You know, so, well, who? I've, I've been with these people 50 hours a week, right? So I told my friends and it, it, it kind of spread out a little bit. Uh, and once the cat's out of the bag, it's it's kind of out of the bag. All of a sudden, I found out it wasn't just my my co-managers and stuff. Now, if our employees are out there buying these books, right? Uh, guys they in want to see if they're in it. I know from the gun club, but I don't really work with that. They're in the engineering branches. Started buying the books, right? So it, it started getting out there. That's because people want to know if you yeah. wrote them into the book. There's something about that. I found this, and I would consciously write people into the book books that I did. By the way, you say when you write a draft of a book you want to tell somebody, try writing 10 and you can't yeah. talk to your wife about it. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that I shouldn't have said that. But uh, do, do you find people, you know, wondering if they're in the books or then they're like, hey, when you write a next book, make me super cool. Yeah, there, there, there is that for sure. So um, I, I've heard you ding on yourself over that for the over the years. You you know you'll you'll try to downplay. You go, I'm not very creative, you know. And you know I've met two or three of the guys that you've actually written about. Um, I I've tried to purposely not do that as much, but there are certain characters in your life that you just got to put into a book. <laughs> yep. And, and so there's there's a couple from the gun range and one from the shipyard that I kind of based personas on, but more or less I you know. Uh, what I've been doing is just paying homage to people with their name, uh, usually a first name or a last name. Um, there's only one guy I've ever done both a first and last name character on. That's in book three, and that's a, a buddy of mine from Ireland. So, uh, but yeah, there's that happened. That's kind of coincidental. You asked that question because um, this week it was funny. Someone goes, Hey, so is this guy in book three that gets kneecapped based on so-and-so? I go, how'd you get that? He goes, well, it kind of sounds like him in the description. I said, I gave a height and a weight. How did you get that? <laughs> well, it nice. kind of sounds like him. I go, you're that big. It could have been you. He goes, oh, that ain't cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you don't like it when you're the one getting kneecapped, are you? But no, that's just it. So I gave an example to these people. They go, I said, look at Nick. How do you think Nick, the, the character Nick, got the question? And they all looked at my coworker named Nick. And he goes, well, it's named after Nick. And I go, no, I ran a contest. A fan won the right to name two characters. Huh? He named them after his kids, right? So it's funny you ask that. Yeah, people start assuming that every character, even the ones that aren't tied to the shipyard plot, must be inspired by someone I know. And that's not true. I'm just, the vast majority of them are just kind of made up in my head based on a need for the plot. Yeah, or there are composites of people that's like, you there know, you go, yeah. somebody is half this and half that. And I know that Shelby and I, and Shelby more than me, used, and it's crazy out there, name generators. And yes. You should look it up. Just Google name generators, and it'll come mm -hmm. up with a name and even like uh, like a fake address and a fake, like a fake persona, basically. Yeah, I'm going to have to use that on the next series. Yep. I'm planning on a seven to eight book series. I'm definitely going to need some more names. So Seven to eight oh. book series. We'll talk more about that. Yeah. Okay. Next series. What's up with that? That's awesome. That's an announcement. I think it is. So, um, Blades of Grass. And uh, a lot of people, uh, I had to Google this. I mean, I knew I've always heard about the Blades of Grass remark from World War II. 
Uh, it turns out that that's uh, kind of a myth. It, it, there's some, some basis of truth there, but it, it comes from a post-World War II report. But basically, there was this big urban legend about uh, some Japanese admiral saying the reason we never invaded the mainland is because, because behind every blade of grass is an American with a gun. So um, knowing that these stories this uh, basically set up that the, the – the disasters are so um, largely impactful to both Amazon and Microsoft that it starts having effects on the Internet and the world economy. Hmm. And immediately, China and Russia start uh, manipulating for control. And these are things that I've built in all three of the existing books, just little uh, narratives, right, that like start a chapter every now and then. Um, so the narrative and the spinoff is going to be basically – a, America trying to get this cartel problem under control in the non-Seattle cities in the West. And then it, it's going to be showing a little bit of Russia and China more or less duking it out over who gets the right to invade us. <laughs> and sounds it, like, it, it sounds like our headlines. It, it leads into a China invasion of the mainland. So It's like our headlines. Sounds like, sounds like an argument around the uh, conference room in the in a Biden administration. Yep. Oh, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't even yeah. say that. Well, we uh, yeah. we'd like to switch gears yes. a little bit. Um, the okay. the episode before this, uh, 112, was about uh, our take on the year 2020. Things we learned, things that we we predicted correctly, things we were wrong about. So. Why don't you, Austin, give us your take on 2020? What did you learn in 2020? What surprised you? What were you 100% right about? I mean, it seems like everyone that's been alive this year in 2020 is going to have a story for the grandkids about, well, let me tell you, back in 2020. So what's your story to the grandkids about 2020? For me, it was really a year of discovery. Um, I think uh, what, what surprised me, and it shouldn't have, Mm -hmm. was just how many people are sheep regarding the dissolving of their rights. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's probably a little bit of normalcy bias on my part. For years, I've been saying for two or three years, ever since it became obvious that no matter what the left and the media did, no matter what Trump did to prove that there was no Russian collusion, they were going to make it happen, right? Um, so the, the further that went along, the more I realized, well, the, the elite, whatever you want to call them, it doesn't matter. The Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, there's a million names for it, but the, the, the ultra elite yeah. want him out of power. He was literally going to drain the swamp. And so I've been saying for a few years, just like you guys, it don't matter who wins. There's going to be a CW2 coming. It's just a matter of how fast it happens afterwards. So, um, the irony is, is I was the like the wacky conspiracy theorist <laughs> around my coworkers started saying that for the last four years. All of a sudden, they all start. Ever since I started writing these books, you know, then the, an earthquake happened somewhere or 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 whatever. You know, the the, the chop zone went up in Seattle. Some of these non-prepper types look at me like I'm some sort of mystic guru with a crystal ball. <laughs> it's like no, I'm just a student of human behavior and right. history. Exactly. So, Spot on. Yeah. Um, personally, I, I learned I can do anything I uh, want. Uh, even poorly, I can do certain things like my YouTube videos aren't the greatest quality, uh, but I put a humor into them and I've learned some editing skills and stuff. And I kind of had to shelve that for a while when I went back to work full time. So uh, for your, your listeners, I'm an asthmatic. And when COVID first came over here, there was a real concern. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. So the federal government allowed uh, certain high-risk people to go home. Uh, I went home for three months, and, and instead of writing book three, I started a YouTube channel. Nice. Um, yeah. But uh, when I went back to work, I ran out of time, right? So I, I don't put a whole lot into that. I'm going to have to start putting a few videos out here and there. But uh, I, I guess for personal thing, I realized I am uh, better prepared than I thought. Uh, I already owned an N95 mask. If the, if the trucks had quit delivering food to the stores like we thought they were, and they slowed down quite drastically, but it eventually picked back up. Now now here comes the winter run crunch, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I told my coworkers I was leaving for what turned out to be three months. I said, I, could, I feel good knowing that my family, including my older kids, if they had to come back and live at home, we could eat for months or maybe over a year, four or five adults, and be just fine. 
and that was that was a good feeling. So, yeah, very good feeling. But uh, yeah, to, for 2021, everyone, I see all these memes out there. Oh man, 2020 is almost over, and I keep thinking, what about the meme where 2020 was the last good year? Yep. Yeah, seriously. Well, yeah. and as as we're gonna say uh, next week, and we've already recorded, it and you'll hear it next week. If 2021 is talking to 2020, 2021 would say, hold my beer. Yep. It's show off time where it's going to be even bigger. Well, that's a great that's a great segue into what do you think is going to happen in 2021 or what should people be looking for? Not what's going to happen, because that's putting a lot of pressure on somebody to, you know, predict the future. But tell us your thoughts about 2021 and what's coming. Well, um, I know that there's a lot of people that are have a there's some theories that there might be some some minor martial law in order to reinstate uh, credible elections. As far as I'm concerned, um, there's never going to be another credible election again. Uh, the exactly. hacking and the the you know, all the stuff behind it is just too great. Uh, but you know what happened today? Well, today. And by the way, we just found so everybody knows, a super strain of evolved COVID over in UK. And, and it's now December twenty first. It's December twenty yep. first when we're recording this, twenty twenty, yep. and that's an important timestamp so people can know. But keep going. Sorry that's to interrupt true. you. Especially because when this thing goes to release, so much can happen in that time, right? Nowadays, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, the, what what. People are lining up now to go get these shots without really knowing what it's going to do to their body. And all of a sudden, there's a new strain of COVID. So maybe next year, they keep saying the new normal for a reason. And everyone keeps going, I can't wait till these masks are gone. I said, they're not. So if the mask were to protect others, not yourself, and if there's always going to be symptomless carriers, then the only way that that plays out logically is that masks will be required forever. Period. Mm-hmm. I, I've been trying to tell people this the entire year, and they go, "Well, that doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. It's the only way it can play out because otherwise, the left at some point has to decide when life becomes less valuable." Um, so, mask reinforcement's gonna it's going to double down. There's going to be a second COVID vaccine coming out based on this stuff that's happening right now with these new strains. Um, obviously, if Biden and his guy, uh, Biden gets in. Um, and of course, the, the tinfoil hat people, thought he's going to get killed the first days in office. Well, no, but with his age and his obvious dementia issues, there is a good chance that even if he doesn't die, I think they're going to move to remove him from office, put in Kamala, who's really want, who they want to be president, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of potential things that could happen politically there. I, I know that. No one worries about cities burning if Biden gets into office. I disagree. I think BLM, uh, I don't think in Antifa in particular, communists are not not big fans of uh, elections under the current system. They don't mm. they don't really care. And I think they're going to run amok. And I think part of it will be that the libs, the Bidens, the communists, whatever it is, I don't even know, are going to unleash them and they want them to do it. But I'm starting to talk more than than you. So I'm going to go ahead and listen. Well, I I guess my question there is, um, why have they paused then? Is that really just a winter pause to regroup? Yeah, it's cold outside. Obviously, we had the stuff that happened down in Oregon here. And again, uh, for today's date, not the day this airs, uh, the Capitol in Oregon had a riot, right? So, but uh, yeah, I I guess... uh, I consider your point that you're probably right on that because I think you guys are a lot more uh, brushed up on these things than I am. But uh, I, I think that uh, it would be more exponentiated if Trump were to somehow retain his seat. Yeah, that would set things on. Yeah. So, well, and, and it's a it's a it's interesting that you say that in regards to what happened in in Oregon at the capital in Salem, Oregon. There was a quote riot today. Depending on what news source you look at, and if you met fellow author and writer Jeff Reynolds at the recent event we were at. That actually was conservatives showing up to have a rally so that they could go in the Capitol and observe the special session happening. They were not allowed in the building, and the state police showed up and uh, sprayed tear gas, tear gas, that's what you get when you're a conservative right. protester. But right. when you're Antifa, 
you know, you get a sack lunch and, uh, you know, a pat on the head. So and that's, an that's just, a, I think that it right there is a, and I think you'd agree with me too, Austin, that's a, just a prescription for what 2021 is going to look like in regards to laws. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's another local guy up here that uh, he's not an author, but uh, he stands in for Rush Limbaugh as a radio host. And that's Todd Herman. Yes. I don't know. Todd Herman's show is awesome. And he has a saying, where there's a double standard, there's a hidden agenda. Ah, That's that is wow. perfect. Well, well said. I yeah. wish we could have stolen that. Austin, I want to, uh, we have a, another minute or two before we wrap up and then go into the after show for patrons. Now, don't talk about this in substance because we're going to talk about it in the after show. But I wanted to let folks know that you're going to be talking about something very personal and very important um, in the after show, and it, it affects a lot of people. So I want to just flag that. I'll, I'll go ahead and just describe the topic. And you got about a minute. Got about a minute, <laughs> and then I'm, and then be sure and give folks your contact information. So what is the topic we're going to talk about in the after show? The topic's going to be depression and the fact that there's a lot of them. Right? There's uh, seasonal stuff. There's people that get depressed over just the news being inundated with bad news, but then there's clinical depression, things that people live with, both the mixture of nature and nurture. It's in their genes and it's something they live with their whole life and and maybe they don't seek treatment. And And this includes uh, you. I recently started seeking treatment for it. Exactly. Started seeking treatment and we wanted to let folks know because that's something to think about, but I don't want to jump ahead to to the after show and all of that. Well, um, Austin, uh, how can folks get a hold of you and, and, and give out your YouTube channel and your website again and make sure it's nice and slow? And if you are listening on a, on a device that has a pause button, which would not include, include a radio station, you might want to hit pause, go get a, a paper and pencil or whatever. And so go ahead, Austin. How can folks get a hold of you? All right. So um, I have a Austin Chambers reader page on Facebook, and I also have a Cascadian preparedness and that's cascadian like with an n on the word cascadia i didn't pick it my fans did but uh um, and i have a youtube channel called cascadian preparedness and so i I run a preparedness blog and website on cascadianpreparedness.com and then i also um occasionally will do more life humor type blogs on authorostinchambers.com uh, and then, of course, that's the social media presence for that, for Facebook and MeWe. I'm really putting my focus on MeWe now. Very good. And I'm trying to get through some hiccups on Parlor. Yep, yep. Like we've all said, uh, well, we've. I think we've all agreed that we all need to digitally, pre- digitally prepare and prepare other places besides the typical social media outlets. So, folks... Final thought, always every week, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. From Benjamin Franklin, have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.